CLNS's Patriots coverage is powered by our exclusive wagering partners at betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your welcome bonus. Friday, everybody. Evan Lazar, Alex Barth, Patriots Beat Podcast here on this Friday afternoon. Following the Patriots, as you can see right there at the bottom of the screen, 35 to nothing shellacking. Shellacking of the Philadelphia Eagles. And before we get into it, Alex... I'm just going to put this caveat on everything that we say over the next hour. I don't want to have to repeat ourselves over and over and over again. That we will. Right. Didn't play the starters and they played the backups and these Patriots were going up against two threes and fours. We know, we know, we know. And if you join the stream late and you think that we're overrating the Patriots performance because it was against backups, go back and watch the beginning of the show because we know it was against backups. That aside, Let's digest what we saw tomorrow night and kind of take in some of the things that I thought were important, were telling, and then some of the things that were maybe not so telling that we have to consider the level of competition. Can I can I just real quick add something that maybe goes on to your point? Yes. You rarely, rarely see shutouts in the preseason. That's fair. That doesn't happen. So that kind of tells you that last night's game was not your typical preseason game. It was a good performance by the Patriots. Now, on Monday and Tuesday in joint practices, it did feel like the Eagles had maybe a little bit more of the upper hand than the Patriots, and that was starters on starters and more Fletcher Cox, more Brandon Graham, more Darius Slay on the defensive side of the ball for the Eagles. But with that being said, the most important element to come out of last night was that both quarterbacks looked extremely good in that game. And I think the main thing that you have to take away from Cam Newton's performance in particular was how connected, how in rhythm, and just how tied together his decisions and his mechanics and his throws and the whole sort of picture was for Cam Newton, right? Because that is always consistently – the issue that you have with, you know, what Cam brings to the table is are his feet, hips, shoulders lining up with the throws that he is making down the field. When they are, he's a very accurate quarterback down the field, especially on the routes that he throws best, dig routes, shallow crosses, curls, things like that. When it's not, that's when they he tends to run into issues. Yeah, I so it's funny – to go with that as well, I was talking to Ted Johnson about this earlier today. Those three, the three throws in a row that we're kind of all basing all this on, right? All three of those were on max protect. So I'd have to ask Ted Johnson, and I, I don't mean to get on Ted Johnson. I saw the clip that he post, they posted on NBC Sports Boston as well. And I'm okay. not saying that Ted Johnson is wrong, but my question for Ted, honestly, is what does he consider max protection? Because the throw to Jacoby Myers is a play-action pass. That was max protected. It's a two-man route combination. The Patriots do that a lot, right? That's that's a max protection type of play. The throw to Kendrick Bourne, they had the tight end and the running back chip coming out of the backfield, and then it turned into a five-man protect. So I'm not sure what is that mean? You know, what is that five? Is that, is that seven man protection? Is that max protect in Ted Johnson's mind? Or I, I don't know. I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just asking the question because 
when a running back and a tight end chip and then release into the route and there's four, five guys out in the route, that to me is not max protect, right? And he hit two of those throws in that kind of situation where they chipped and then they released out into the pattern. So that's, I guess, a definition of max protect that maybe is a little bit of a gray area. Maybe Ted Johnson playing in the league would know something that I don't about how you kind of define those types of plays, but I would definitely want to ask Ted what he, how does he kind of define mass protection? Well, so the point I think he, cause I talked to him a little bit about it off the air. And so we got a little deeper into it. You know, you go back, was it Orlovsky who had that tweet this morning about the footwork? Yeah, I mean, that was yeah. the biggest takeaway for me as well. And I, I wrote about that last night, the tied yeah. together mechanical chain. I talk about it all the time with Cam. When he's not stepping in the right direction, when he's not lining up his feet to his throws, the ball tends to do wonky things on him. When he is, that's when it really is a much crisper operation. Yeah, so I guess the the the, the way that kind of ties in, right, is – even if they're chipping, you just know you have more time if you're back there, if you're Cam Newton. And that level of comfort maybe is what allows him to set his feet, right? The, one of the biggest issues for Cam last year was against the blitz. And the whole offense isn't just Cam, but it runs through the quarterback. Um, a, a big part of a, a big thing that killed him was the blitz. So, and that's where Cam's throwing off balance. That's why he's throwing all these passes short because he couldn't set his feet. Okay, last night he sets his feet. Great. And, and again, I, Orlowski wasn't wrong. The footwork's tied to everything else and he looked in sync and he looked good, but you had these passing plays that were called with more of a focus on, on blocking. You also had, I don't think the Eagles blitzed him once. I think I saw that there was no blitz. They didn't blitz either quarterback once to be fair. The footwork looked good. And I don't want to take that away from him because I think that's encouraging. I think overall what Kim Newton did last night is encouraging, but we're here to put context to it. I think that was that was a baseline. That was – he wasn't really challenged with anything that he was challenged with last season, if that makes sense. I guess that's fair. I think the two biggest things that I would say – one was obviously what I talked about already with the chain all being tied together, right? The feet, the hips, the shoulders, all kind of going with the brain. Right. And I think that's where Cam has sort of had issues is the brain is one step ahead of the rest of his body or the brains behind his body. And he's getting to that point in the progression and then not being able to to kind of continue through the progression and, and make sure that his feet are continuing with him to the next point in that progression. That can be a problem for Cam. The other thing that I took away from Cam is that to Josh McDaniels' credit, I thought that he dialed up a lot of really good plays for each quarterback that he, that fit and suit each QB. So when you get into what Cam is good at in this offense, dig routes is probably the number one thing, right? That's the number one right. most route that he throws the best. Digs, curls, what they call middle read, which is when they send that receiver right up the middle of the field, that gives the quarterback an initial read of if it's single high, post high, zero, whatever, and then he kind of goes off of that read and may either throws the dig underneath it or he throws and splits the safeties with the ball down the middle. So those types of reads, those types of throws, Cam it clearly looks very comfortable doing. So they have a baseline, as you said, a foundation of what they can work off of on those types of with Cam in the passing game, right? Digs, curls, uh, things in the between the numbers, essentially. And once you get 
throwing outside the numbers, once he can throw deep, that's when he can tend to maybe have some issues. But when you keep it in the middle of the field and you keep the ball on some of those drive throws towards the intermediate level, that is where Cam's sweet spot is. So I think that that's what we learned last night was that Cam – is capable and when he does go out there and consistently puts together the mechanical work that he did last night and then you tie that together with the play calls that Josh McDaniels made against the Eagles that is the that is the way that you can optimize Cam Newton's skills as a passer that's the way that you can make Cam Newton look the best possible version of himself in this offense when they get caught up in doing some of the stuff outside the numbers or some of the option stuff that's when it gets a little bit bleak but when they start to just kind of give him a clear picture of what he's looking at down the field and that might mean max protect two-man route combination and making it a little bit more of a simplified read and as long as you have the playmakers And last night it was a lot of Nelson Aguilar and Jacoby Myers kind of making the plays happen. As long as you have that ability uh, with those, uh, with those weapons to create mismatches and get open at the second and third level of the defense, then you'll be fine running two or three man route combos. Or maybe uh, like the, the Kendrick Bourne throw, for example, was Bourne on the dig route, the middle read coming out the middle of the field and then a check down. Right. So basically you have home run, first down, check down. That's the kind of the, the old narrative, right? Or the old uh, trope. So if you're able, able to do that, then I think that that's enough. I think you can win with that. Offenses have certainly won with less. And if you add the running game on top of that, then that's a, that's a feasible way to win and move the football if Cam can be consistent like he was last night. Yeah, and again, I think you can then tap into that deep ball because that, I mean, that was his, the best elements of his game last year, kind of slid under the radar. That, that was the best element of his game. And with having Aguilar, you're going to have more of that, but you only set that up if the underneath stuff's working and the stuff outside the numbers is working. So it complimentary football. I think we got our first complimentary football of the year last night from Bill. I don't remember him saying it uh, after week one. I don't know if he said it during camp. So uh, I think it was, if I'm wrong, correct me. But yeah, I mean that it's all going to tie together. That's the thing for Cam Newton. It's it's last year everything was just so disjointed that it feels like once one or two things click, everything's going to start to click. Right. So that's the biggest thing I took away from Cam was that McDaniel's and Cam seem to have a comfort level with at least the baseline of plays that the Patriots are going to run with him when he's passing and drop back passing or or if it's play action as well and not straight just drop back. And I just want to clarify one thing. When I said the deep ball, I think Cam is a good post thrower. I think he's a good deep cross thrower. Go balls outside the numbers. I'm not so sure that that's really what you're going to have success with him throwing. But if you're going to throw a deep post to Nelson Aguilar or throw a deep over route to Nelson Aguilar, I think Cam's really good at those types of throws down the field. The outside the number go ball, I don't know if that's necessarily his game. Let's move on to Mac Jones, though, who was also really, really good, also against backup players for the Eagles. Caveat, caveat, caveat. But what did you see, Alex, that I think with Mac, 
the one thing that stood, there's two things as well that really stood out to me. The first one is the little things, right? Just the little things that he does in the pocket that are really just instinctive, innate quarterback plays that are very, very impressive. For example, on the throw to Nikhil Harry on the 13 yard, uh, third and 13, they completed it for 19 yards. That little shoulder fake that he gives to the defense pulls the linebacker out of the passing window and he comes back and hits Nikhil with the ball over the middle. The, Movement in the pocket on the dart to Gunnar Oshevsky where he's able to step around. The right guard gets beat. He steps around it and then darts it right there. So I, I think that that's, those are the types of little movements in the pocket that you see with Mac that really gets you excited. Just the little cadences, the shoulder fakes, the pump fakes, the look offs with the eyes, right? The manipulation of the defense, the resets once he moves around in the pocket and eludes the rush. The other thing I thought was really telling both weeks, both against Washington and Philadelphia, was his ability to run the no huddle and the tempo that the Patriots got him into to start the second half. That is a lot harder than it looks, right? Because when you get into a huddle with Josh McDaniels in your ear and he calls out the entire play where he tells you the protection, the routes for all the uh, receivers, the formation that they're going to be running, that's a big difference. And then he gets to the line of scrimmage and Josh can say, hey, make sure you check there or make sure this is your key over here or this is what you're reading on this play. All this kind of communication can go on until the headset goes off. When you get into no huddle, it's one word. Right. It's one word, excuse me, play associations for the Patriots and they'll get to the line and they'll say Linda or Rita or Jordan or Brady or whatever they want to call it. Right. And the quarterback and the receivers in the offensive line need to know all the elements, the formation, the protection, the routes all by one word. So to see him be able to run tempo and run no huddle, I think that is extremely impressive. 15, 16 training camp practices in over three months, basically into his career as in the NFL. And we're already running tempo, no huddle coming out of the half. Very, very impressive with that. So we knew about the accuracy. I think we knew about the, some of the other things about his game already, but the two things that stand out above all of that is kind of the little things, which is the mental side of it with the ability to go tempo and the little cadences in the pocket that he uses to manipulate the coverage. Yeah, yeah, I, and I thought too, and this is like a smaller thing, but in this, <clears throat> excuse me, we're all choking here. Yeah, I, I'm I'm dealing with some other stuff off the show right now that's less than pleasant. Um, I think that going go back to what we talked about in the last show, right? Remember the building the house and all that, and and what was he going to put up next after the floor? I think that first drive where he he had two third and longs on that drive, right? And he keeps getting set back by holding penalties. And he just kept that thing moving. And he right. just kept it going. And he finds Nikhil Harry and he's hitting the ball down the field. I think that was the drive he had the gunner throw on. Or that, that might have been later. But the point being. No, they're backed up and he goes on a 17-play drive. Right. right? He's that's like the back of his end zone. Not that we ever saw he couldn't do that. But that's one of those things where you don't just assume a guy can do that. Right. You don't really know he can do it until he does it. So, see – like I talked about last week, right? They have like the third and four and he checks out to a run and just sort of concedes the downs because he didn't like what he saw. Very easy to do that on whatever it was, third and 15, third and 17, third and 20. Didn't do it. Comes back. Boom. Finds Nikhil Harry. Boom. There you go. You get the first down. And he did that again and again and again. So that to me is something where it's not necessarily as analytical as the stuff you're talking about, but it goes back to my whole thing about checking the boxes, right? All right. Well, Boom, Cam checked, uh, Mac checked another box, and here we go. We move forward. 
that's another thing now he another feather he has in his cap yeah i i think that the takeaway from last night for me and i know everybody wants to make it cam versus mac and who played better and who won the night last night for the patriots i think it's great that both quarterbacks played well right because that's ultimately what you want if you're a patriot fan and if you're bill belichick is you don't want mac jones to stumble into the starting job just because he plays cam plays so poorly that they have to start mac right they you want them both playing well you want them both playing at a high level and you want the cream to rise and let the best guy win that's how you want to do it but that's to me a bigger takeaway than who won the night or whatever but i I think the look the the patriots won the night it doesn't have to be one or the other the patriots won the night this is the ideal scenario they're both playing well Cam Newton's going to keep you competitive and you don't have to rush Mac Jones in which as much as some of these idiots want to do it. I heard a guy on Felgren Mass today. Yeah, well, you know, on third and three, he's going to be able to check the ball down at James White. Who You drafted this guy for a 10-year window. Who gives a shit about third and three in week two? We are looking at a 10 to 15-year window with this guy. I don't care about third and three in week two. It's better off he's – I'm sorry. I'm just – I'm pissed off about other stuff. It's like the outlet. I, that, that's the, you know, everybody, this is what you want. I know people don't want to think about it because it has to be option A or option B because that's the society we live in. Both of them playing well is ultimately a good thing. This is when you draft a quarterback and you have a bridge guy. The problem with most bridge guys is they suck and you end up having to go away from them sooner than you want to. And that's ruined quarterback after quarterback after quarterback coming out of college. What you want is a bridge guy who, you know, if you build a bridge, right? When you build, we're going to get into some construction, some engineering talk here. It's in my blood. I'm pretty sure Bill Belichick did this one time, right? Where he used a bridge building analogy. So go for it. When you build a bridge, okay. Let's say you're building a bridge across the Charles River. How far do you want that? Like, okay, you're starting on north of the Charles River, right? And you want to get to south of Charles River. How far do you want that bridge to go? You want it to go all the way to the other bank, right? Because if it goes 80% of the way there and then stops, that's not a bridge. That's a ramp. And then the cars are going to fall off into the water. You want a full bridge. And right now, Cam Newton looks like somebody who can be a full bridge to, by the way, Mac Jones, who looks like he's NFL ready. I know that has nothing to do with what you said. I'm frustrated about something else, but I, I just had to go off. And there you go. No, that's hey, not lady problems either. Uh, it, 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 it's always lady problems with Barth. Don't let them sell it. Oh, Don't sure let them right. sell you something else. I, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I think that, that that pretty much sums it up with Cam and Mac, right? Both played well. Cam seemed to find a rhythm and under in sort of a like I said earlier, a baseline of these are these are the plays that we can run with Cam under center that he's effective at running. Both guys were protected extremely well. Both guys had open receivers down the field. I actually kind of feel like in that sense. It's almost a wash in terms of who is going up against different competition. Both guys were kind of going up against JV last night, right? Yeah. So it's sort of a wash in that sense. And and both players looked good, and that's what's best for the Patriots at the end of the day. Anyways, and that's coming from a guy that said on Monday that I was in support of Mac Jones. So there you go. It's, it's a win for the Patriots, as Alex put it. Let's move on to... We're going to talk about Nikhil in a second. I saw in the chat somebody asking about Christian Barmore. We're going to mention him here, too, in a few minutes. But I want to get to the running backs because very seldom, I think, do you hear Bill Belichick describe a position group on his roster as a great situation. 
right? He's not usually that positive. Last night, he was asked about the running backs and the running back depth specifically, and he described it as a great situation for the team. Now, I was absolutely shocked that he did not take that opportunity to bring up the fact that in 2018, they were in the same exact position and they had to put Cordell Patterson at running back. I'm sure if he's asked about that during the week and not a post-game press conference, he'll go into that whole spiel about how running back depth is great until you don't have it anymore. I think that does bring up a really good point about Ramondre Stevenson. Whether or not Ramondre Stevenson is going to show the coaching staff enough to have him get carries over Sony Michelle. I don't think he's going to get him over Damian Harris no matter what he does. But over Sony Michelle, the fact is is that keeping him on this team active, and I mean not Foxborough fluing him, not all of a sudden saying that he's hurt and putting him on IR, but keeping him as an active member of this roster is extremely important for the depth at that position because he has certainly shown us enough with two uh, to ten, ten, avoided tackles last night in that game on 15 carries to at least be the third option in that backfield. If there's an injury to Harris or there's an injury to Michelle, I think Stevenson has more than proved through two games that he is capable of stepping up and being the one a the one B to Sony's one a or the one B to Damian Harris's one a. Yeah. And I talked about this on the, on the 98, five, the sports uh, Patriots podcast with Mark Daniels this morning. I mean, just how they're set up at running back is, I mean, it's not just this year ideal. It's ideal, ideal. Like you said, Bill Belichick, it's not just going to come out and say, I like we're at a position, like think about how good they have to be set up. You have Damian Harris, Sony Michelle, two top, I I, I think legitimate, you know, top tier uh, split carry backs. James White's going to contribute out of the backfield. You have Ramondre Stevenson, who, and then like, so it goes beyond this year. Then you have Ramondre Stevenson, who I'm sure we'll get into him in a little bit, but, you know, Sony Michelle's contract's up at the end of the year. Well, Stevenson can kind of fill in for him. He can kind of fill in for Burkhead, who just left. You have J.J. Taylor, who looks excellent, who I feel bad for doubting earlier this summer, and he's a guy who can maybe grow into that James White role. So you're set for the, you're set for the immediate future. It, it seems like they're set a few years down the road, too. You got it in, in a league where, and I know this doesn't sound – you know, this is going to sound dumb to people, but just stick with me. In a league where running backs are on their way back, it's a really, really, they're in a really good spot. And I say that because, you know, everybody talks about, oh, the modern NFL, Patrick Mahomes, throw the ball 50 times a game. Yes, and that, please. that, would you say yes, please? Yep. The teams that made the Super Bowl yeah. last year, the teams that made the conference championship round last year were, Besides Green Bay, so three out of four of those teams were the three highest throwing teams in the NFL on a percentage basis. Buffalo, Kansas City, Tampa Bay. Nobody threw the ball more than those three teams last year. And the year before that, I'm trying to remember who who did. Oh, yeah. The year before that, three of the four teams were primary run teams in the final round between the Niners, the Titans, and the – who am I missing? Niners, Titans, and – Maybe it's random. I'll give you that. I'm I'm missing something. But here's my point. I think what teams are realizing is that – if you can get Patrick Mahomes, if you can get Trevor Lawrence, right? If you can get Aaron Rodgers, great. Go out, run that, you know, high-flying circus offense. But I, I, I think the flip side of that, so what every team was trying to do is they were just taking their shots in the dark to try to find Aaron Rodgers, to try to find Patrick Mahomes. And you can't do that, right? For every Aaron Rodgers, there's what, 20, 30 Jake Lockers, right? Sure. 
you get how many guys like that. And I think what teams are realizing now that instead of take, unless you have the first pick and there's a generational quarterback and you know, right. I think what some teams are saying is we'd rather not take that risk. Let's spend that asset. Let's build up the rest of the roster. Let's get a great defense. Let's get an excellent offensive line. Let's just bully ball teams down their throat. And then you know, all you have to get is a net neutral quarterback. You're, you're Ryan Tannehill's, you're Jimmy Garoppolo's, right? All you have to do is get that guy and you can be competitive. Again, the Niners were a couple Kyle Shanahan dis- bad decisions away from winning a Super Bowl with that. So you're basically describing Mac Jones in the situation that they. So put- that's what I'm saying. So when you look at, and this is kind of a bigger picture thing, and I, I've been talking about this since Brady left in 2020. I wrote about this two days after Brady left. That's the formula the Patriots are going for, and they're not the only ones doing that. That's the new NFL. Build up that offensive line, build up that defense, beat the crap out of your opponents, try to win every game 20 to 13. And the Patriots, not every team nails that plan because some teams, they, you know, they think that they're in position and then they're like, okay, we're really close. Let's go out and spend all the money. And the foundation's not totally built and the house collapses. Patriots have that foundation built. If that's the plan and Evan, it feels like that's the plan, right? They're in a really good position and the running backs are a huge part of that. That's almost, that's another reason why the max protect two man route thing with Cam Newton doesn't bother me even more so, right? Is because they're not asking Cam Newton to go out there right. and figure out a five man route combination or a five man route tree and just sort of figure it out on the fly, right? Like they, they don't need him to do that. They need him. If you want to run post crosser all day long off play action when you're going to average five yards per carry, then so be it, right? As long as you have guys that can go out there and win their matchups on the outside, it's everything is going to be fine. So to, to me, that's why it's a little bit overrated to sit here and say, well, they simplified it for Cam. Well, they're probably going to simplify it for anybody that's back there and make it easier on the quarterback. And, and that's the way the offense should be headed because they don't have Tom Brady anymore. And they're not going to be able to run some uh, offense that takes a supercomputer of a brain and a football mind that's been in the NFL for 20 years. They shouldn't be running that kind of offense anymore. So Ramondre Stevenson, though, back back to the main yes, point. Sorry. Again, I, today's the day. I think that it's pretty <laughs> darn rare for a 230-pound running back to have. He's 231. I looked it up this morning. That's what he oh, weighed in at the combine. I'll take the over on that. It's possible. In a good way. He was, uh, I, I have him at 245. I don't know what this is from, but I have him at 245. Okay. Well, I had a mock draftable, which I trust is where they do all the okay. combine me- measurements. But maybe one's after he ate dinner. I don't know. Well, let me look. Let me double check. Yeah. 231 at the combine. Okay. Anyways, 231 pound running back is still a big boy, right? And the yeah. fact that he has the footwork and the lateral agility and the jump cuts that he has is extremely impressive. The fact that he can make guys miss in a phone booth or run you over makes him very, very effective with the ball in his hands. I mentioned that stat 10 avoided tackles or forced missed tackles, whichever way you want to put it, in 15 carries. That is a really high number. The fact that he can create yards after contact, make guys miss, and it's not just with steamroll run you over. I think there's a lot of LeGarrette Blunt or mini LeGarrette Blunt comparisons. He's got a lot more wiggle than LeGarrette Blunt ever had. LeGarrette Blunt is a linear runner, right? He, he was a guy that was hit the hole hard, get through it, and get up into the second and third level as fast as you can. Ramondre Stevenson has a little bit of dance moves. He's got the footwork to be able to move laterally, to jump cut out of the way of defenders. We saw it on that toss. They tossed it out to him. He made two guys miss in quick succession with lateral jump cuts. In order to stack those types of moves together, the running back that's supposed to be doing that is J.J. Taylor. 
right? The guy that's snap back, the little guy, not Ramondre Stevenson at his size. So that's, I think, why you're so excited or just excited for Ramondre Stevenson with the Patriots is because he's got some serious wiggle for a back that also has power and he's got that ability as we saw on the 91 yard run he got up over 20 miles an hour on that run so he's got some wheels to him as well when he gets in the open field yeah the guy's tremendously talented I mean he didn't fall in the draft due to talent he was just raw but in some ways that works to your advantage because you know what they say about running backs right each guy is like a predetermined number of touches and then that's it so Stevenson's odometer is coming in much lower. And yeah, I he looks like he can be special. He looks like he can be special pretty quickly. The big thing for me with him, and I think everybody knows where I'm going with this, has been, you know, can he prove that he should be the exception to the redshirt rule? Right. And no non-first round rookie running back has had more than 100 touches in a season under Bill Belichick. There's a big difference, you know, if he gets 80 touches versus he gets 10, you know, it's difference, but it's even 80 touches that's not a major, major, major impact. It's more than most, but it's not a major impact. And I, I thought he was on on pace there to maybe offset the red shirt. And then the fumble happened, unfortunately. Right. And I'm sure, you know, the coaching staff's not going to let him forget that. He could be a Hall of Famer, and they will still show him that play when he shows up for training camp every year. So, you know, I, I think that uh, – I everybody has every right to be super excited about the guy. I'm very excited about him. I, I have been since the draft. I'm super excited for Andre Stevenson. I just still can't shake the idea that we might not see him significantly until 2022. I don't think we're going to see him significantly until 2022 either, but the good news again is kind of when we began this spiel about Ramondre Stevenson was to me, he has proven in camp practices and uh, last night and even against Washington as well that again if Damian Harris and Sony Michelle who are two guys that haven't exactly been the most durable Alex if right. either one of those guys gets nicked up gets banged up has to sit a couple of games and they have to have somebody else behind the other to take some carries so carry the ball eight ten times in the game right and I'm glad that they I, I think that Ramondre Stevenson is earning the trust of the coaching staff to at least do that. So we're not putting in, and it's no, no offense to Brandon Bolden, who's, who's reliable and, and a consistent player for other reasons, but at least they have maybe a difference maker that they can now insert into the lineup. So they don't have to give those carries to Brandon Bolden, or they don't have to give those carries to get weird with it and put Johnny Smith in the backfield or, or something like that. They have a guy in Ramondre Stevenson that is a third, a true third early down back that can sort of spell those guys if they do have to miss a few games. And finally, Sony Michelle last year of his contract, it's pretty clear to me that as long as Ramondre Stevenson's fumbling issues aren't a consistent problem, that this is going to be Damian Harris and, and Ramondre Stevenson's backfield in 2022. Yeah, yeah, no, it it definitely feels like that. And I just wonder if they give those carries to Bolden over Stevenson. That that's what they've done in the past. They might still. They might still. Especially if he fumbles again next week. Yeah, but again, that you know, he's good depth and I if there was a guy and they've had some they've drafted some running backs that turned into pretty good players, right? James White, right. Shane Vereen, Steven Ridley. I'd like to think J.R. Redmond. I don't know that he qualifies, but I'm a big fan of his. Um I don't remember a rookie running back looking this good significantly in the preseason. Obviously, Roy Finch looked really good, but, I mean, he was playing in the fourth quarter of every game. So you write that off. But, you know, Stevenson was doing that last night 
second quarter, third quarter against maybe not starters, but against NFL players. So any run that run in the in the joint practices against starter level talent on the Eagles side of the of the ball for the defense. So they clearly they started giving him carries with the starting offensive line earlier in the week. So right. they, they see it with Ramondre Stevenson too. What, what about JJ Taylor? Cause again, great situation. Great situation means you have six running backs. I think it's also pretty clear that JJ Taylor has the ability, the talent. And we've always thought this. I know I kept him off my last roster projection. I took some flack for that last night. I've always thought that JJ Taylor was an NFL talent. This was never a question of whether or not JJ Taylor was talented enough to be in the NFL or to be on the roster. The problem was just, Six running backs is a very high number. It's hard to get all those guys on the team. But last night, spin move aside, the bounce out outside was great as well. He saw the back door open up and he bounced it out out wide. And I think he ended up running for 21 yards in that play. You know that he can catch the ball out of the backfield. He has James White-like skills, right? Or maybe... I don't know if he's necessarily James White. I think that they they run a little bit differently, but uh, the guy that sort of he reminds me a little bit more of is maybe like a Shane Vereen or a Danny Woodhead, right? And you're still dancing around. It's Deion Lewis. I I guess so. I guess so. I don't know. Deion Lewis was Deion Lewis. I I guess maybe we all remember me particularly remember Deion Lewis as as this really really good football player <laughs> you know what I mean like somebody that was beyond that but regardless I he is somebody in JJ Taylor that can clearly fill that role on this team as the third down back as the pass catching back the scat back whatever uh we want to call it and I don't know how they don't keep all six of these guys at this point maybe Brandon Bolden's a guy that gets waived and, and brought back they've tried that before and if they lose him they lose him because he's probably not going to get be a factor in this backfield that much this year, but I guess JJ Taylor did is just keeps on stacking these good games together. It's clear he's a gamer because he doesn't play this well in practice. This is this is a game thing for JJ Taylor, which is fine too. We got to do it somewhere, right? Either got to be good in the games, right. or good in the practices, and he seems to be better in the pra- in the games and the practices. But six running backs. I mean, is that really where we're headed with this roster? Yeah, I mean, so just. To backtrack to Taylor real quick, I think that the one question mark still is his pass blocking, and we saw it a little bit last night. But that's, you know, that's the when you talk about him filling James White's role, because James White's a very good blocker, and people don't necessarily notice that. That's the first thing the coaches are going to look at. And I don't know that J.J. Taylor has a ton of pass blocking tape. So something to watch for in this final week. But yeah. it does feel like they're keeping all six. I, I don't think they cut Bolden. I don't think they do. I think Bill Belichick, again, got burned on that before. I think his special team presence matters. Again, if they really want to redshirt Stevenson, he gives you important depth at running back. He can catch the ball too a little bit. I just don't, I, I, I don't think Bill's ready to get rid of Bolden. He doesn't need to. I think if you're looking at maybe moving on from one of those special teams guys to, to free up a roster spot, you know, I look at a guy like Brandon King who hasn't played in two years, who's coming back from a very significant knee injury. And, and, and maybe that's the guy. But, I, you know, Bolden, I think if there was a chance Bolden wasn't going to make the team, he would have played last night. I think Bill would have told him, hey, you need to step it up. He doesn't dress last night. He hasn't practiced a ton. For a veteran like that, to me, that means he's safe. And and they know what he is, and they know what he's going to do, and they know what his role is. So, yeah, I, I it looks like it's going to be six backs. And somebody in the comments asked about the fourth wide receiver, and we'll get to that. I mean, there's going to be a trickle down there. Whether it's a tight end or wide receiver, one of those positions is going to come in thin with six backs. But I 
it's just what it's just what the practices have dictated. You have to keep six backs. You're gonna letting any of these guys go is gonna hurt. Even Sony and people have said trade Sony. I think even trading Sony, you're not gonna get the return on you. You're not gonna get a, a good yeah. enough return. Here's the reality of it: Sony's gonna have a good season assuming he stays healthy with this offensive line with Damian Harris spelling him to keep him fresh. Sony's gonna have a good season. Then he's gonna hit the market. You're gonna get a fourth round pick for Sony Michelle as a comp pick. You might get a third. You might. If it's a weak free agency class, and I don't know everybody who's up, but if it's a weak free agency class and some team gets desperate, you you might be get a third round pick for Sony Michelle as a comp pick. So you're gonna trade him for six now just because you feel like you have depth in a position where depth always disappears like that. Right. It, it just it doesn't make sense. So I, I again I think unless somebody's gonna give you a third or a fourth for Sony Michelle. I don't think there's a reason to get rid of any of the six of them. Bolden's the guy if they're going to get rid of anybody, I think, unless they get blown away on a trade offer for Sony, which maybe they do, maybe another team. I know everybody keeps on saying the Rams. I keep on thinking no with the Rams because they need a guy that's got speed back there, right? They they right. need a track runner, Todd Gurley, Raheem Mostert. Those are the types of guys that really thrive in that scheme. If they're going to trade for any of the Patriots backs, it's going to be J.J. Taylor. Yeah, he, he definitely does more what they want. You know, they just they need guys that have legit track speed because they have to be able to turn the corner, right? Because you're running wide zone, so you're stepping out towards the sideline, and you're either going to wrap it around the corner or you're going to bounce it and one-cut it up the field. Either way, you have to have a really explosive back with home run speed, and Sony just isn't that kind of guy. So I don't see him as a fit schematically for what Sean McVay and the Rams want to do. So it's got to be someplace else to me that that is a little bit better, a, a downhill gap type of offense like the Patriots that would want a guy that you pull the guard, you run downhill at the off at the defense and you have the bigger back and Sony Michelle that's able to take those carries between the tackles. Uh, that's not the Rams cup of tea. But regardless of all that, great running back situation. Nikhil Harry, just a microcosm sucks. of Nikhil Harry. The situation sucks, not Nikhil. The situation sucks. Good, good save. Uh, Nikhil you. Harry, the microcosm of Nikhil Harry's career where he actually does something good and then it turns so bad so quickly is just so classic Nikhil. So he goes out there, he runs a really good route to get by Zach McPherson. He stems it exactly the way he should towards the corner. He blows by the cornerback on the fade. He gets him stacked. He's got him on his back. He's got the touchdown. And then for some reason, he decides to lay out and try to dive to catch a ball that didn't need that kind of thing, especially when you're six foot three and you have the catch radius that Nikhil does. Instead of just running underneath it like a center fielder and taking it in stride, he tries to dive for it, lands on his shoulder, drops the football, and is out for the rest of the game. If that does not sum up Nikhil Harry's NFL career so far in one play, I don't know what does because it was so close, almost – just not quite. And that's just Nikhil Harry. Right. And it's also, I mean, he was building momentum. He was, he was doing all the right things and, yeah. and, you know, he was right on the verge and I'm not a doctor. I don't know. That certainly, I, I don't think he got the wind knocked out of him. Right. And we saw him in the sling and you think about what was the Garoppolo injury from landing on his shoulders at the AC joint, right? AC joint. I, that, that's what I have heard. I don't have it confirmed, but it, it's, it looks like an AC joint type of injury. Just I mean, it, it, the tape. if it's not AC joint, it's a broken collarbone. Right. 
right? And either way, he's going to miss time. So now the Patriots have a tough decision to make because you can't, there's guys where they're going to want to keep them initially to move them to IR, right? We've talked about them potentially if they need to do that with Nick Folk, maybe doing that, you know, up front defensively, guys who are late coming off PUP, Chase Winovich perhaps, but you can, you can only do that with so many players, right? And okay, so with Nikhil Harry, he showed all this promise, but it's, you know, it's one summer. How much weight are you putting on that? Are you willing to sacrifice a 53-man roster spot to make sure you get him to eligible to return IR? Do they IR him right now? Do they outright IR him right now? And just say, you know what, we'll revisit next year. And some of it depends what the injury is. If he can't play this year, he can't play this year. Then you IR him right now. But, you know, do they just keep him on the team and hope he can be ready? And I, you know, this is wildly throwing crap against the wall. I don't know because we don't know what the injury is, so it's impossible to say. But right. there, whatever the decision, it, unless the doctors say, yeah, he's done for a year, then you IR him right now. Anything outside of that, and, and uh, that's not what you want. Obviously, you don't want him to be out for the year. But, you know, anything, whatever they do, it's going to be a tough decision. It's going to be a hard decision. And you, you feel for the guy because, you know, everybody, I know I didn't sound like I wanted him to succeed at times. I know people thought I hate him. Everybody wants him to succeed. It would have been a great story. It would have been great. And, you know, he's not an a-hole. He's an easy enough guy to root for. Uh, and it just, he was right there on the verge. He was right there on the verge. Now the whole thing is in flux. And it sucks. Right. If he makes that catch, it's about a 50, 55 yard touchdown from Mac Jones. Right. Well, so the, hang on real quick. If he makes that catch, cause I meant to mention this too, with the quarterbacks. Yeah. Mac Jones, two best passes of the preseason, but dropped. Yeah. If it, he completes the ball to Wilkerson and yeah, that pass last night, deep balls, church. what's the narrative tonight? Right. I mean, what's the narrative today? If he right. it, it, That's what I was going to say for both players, for Mac Jones and for Nikhil Harry. And Christian that, Wilkerson, honestly, that, too. Yeah, if that ball gets caught last night then and Nikhil doesn't get hurt and he runs right in through the back of the end zone for a touchdown and celebrates with Cam Newton probably sprinting down into the end zone to greet Doughboy and all that kind of stuff, then this the, the narrative completely shifts of his – entire summer because we've been talking about this about him playing well in practice all summer long and that was what we the route that he ran last night and the way he got open and stacked the defender and actually created an opportunity down the field is what we have seen all summer long out of him in practice and have been waiting to see it in a game and we did all we saw 99 percent of the way in a game right but he didn't the most important part he didn't catch the football and it's really weird to me that he timed it so awkwardly because he caught a ball. It wasn't as far. It wasn't a 50-yard bomb. It was maybe a 25, 30-yard pass from Mac Jones. But on Monday at the end of practice, he got basically the same exact pass from Mac Jones and ran right in stride and into the end zone for a touchdown, right? He, he does the exact right. same thing in practice, can't figure it out in the game. And you have to put some stock, I would say, and Nikhil Harry's just – his football instincts are not what they need to be, right? His feel for the game. He's a great athlete. He's got good size. He's better off the line of scrimmage now. You saw it last night. That's an explosive route that he ran. But his football instincts and just his sort of feel for being out there on a football field on game day, it just feels like he just doesn't have any awareness about him sometimes, right? And and that is a trait that is obviously extremely important. And in order to put it all together, you have to have that sort of innate football IQ. It just has to be pre-programmed in your brain. And for some reason, Nikhil Harry seems to have a lot of these sort of clumsy type of moments on a football field. And you just wonder, you wonder if that can ever go away. Um, Let's move over to the defense. 
and talk. Wait, I, I got to ask you an offensive line question first. Oh, no. We're, I was going to come back to the offensive line late. But okay. we can, okay. yeah. let's move over to the defense. Uh, Christian Barmore, his debut last night. I do think that we saw some issues with him against the run. I posted a clip on Twitter of him getting some pressure up the middle on his arm over move. That's his go-to. Thought some good moments in the pass rush, was able to get some push, was able to do his job. Against the run is something that I talked about when they drafted him. was a technique issue that I was concerned about. Pad level, a take on technique on combination blocks. We saw that again last night that he got pushed around a little bit. Looks a little bit like he could bulk up maybe some more and inside and maybe that would solve the problem. But what were your impressions of Christian Barmore last night? Yeah, I, I mean, a little bit more back down to earth than what we saw at the beginning. I, I think he did get bullied at times, but we, he didn't get bullied one-on-one. There were a couple times he got pushed off the spot double-teamed, double, double teamed, but that tells me teams are already in a preseason game as a rookie. He's getting double-teamed. That's something. That tells you just how much other teams fear this guy. So he'll learn to fight through those. Again, he's a rookie. He's a, it, was his first, it was his first NFL action. He dressed last week, but he didn't play. So I, you know... Uh, no red flags, no nothing like that. I it was a he started. I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this because I I don't want to bash the guy. He started so high. He started like what we right. saw in the in the padded practice was like whoa. That I don't know that it was that, but for a guy in his first NFL action, yeah, he did more or less what I expected. There was no like uh oh moment. I, he got pushed off the line a couple times by double teams. I like that he was getting double teamed that early, but. We'll see how he handles those, how he learns those going forward. Somebody in the comments, they treat him like Aaron Donald. Yeah, kind of. They did. And that, you normally don't double team people in preseason games like that. You normally don't. So A lot of it, I will say, was he was lining up on the play side and they were combo blocking against the run. So he was just kind of the guy that was in that spot. Not to take anything away from him, but. That, 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 it was a lot of schematic reasons why he was getting comboed or double teamed. But I, I, well, just real quick, I would say too, you know, He's getting pushed off the line, but I don't think he's getting totally blown up. And that's the kind of thing where talent around him, they just kind of need him to eat blocks. Right. He did that. He did that. So especially on that third down stop, he definitely lost ground and you would like to see him play a little bit lower to the ground. But at the same time, Devon Godshaw, Matt Judon, Kyle Van Noy, Carl Davis, they took care of the stop, right? They they were able to make right. the stop. He ate the double team block. It allowed everybody else to be singled up in other spots, and those guys won their one-on-one matchups. And ultimately, that's the defense, right? The combo block is kind of a wash. You assume that you hope that you can hold the point of attack as best as you can, but ultimately what you're doing is trying to occupy those two guys for as long as possible so that you can give everybody else the one-on-one and let, you know, let them win in other areas, which is exactly what happened. So, sure, he lost some ground, but he did his job more or less. I I talked about it when they drafted him. His fit as sort of a regular early down 3-4 end was a little bit spotty to me. Alabama used him more situationally as well. It is very, very clear that he is an extremely talented and well-versed pass rusher. He's got a bunch of different moves. He's got a really good go-to move in the arm over, but he can do some in other counter moves and things like that as well. He gets good push. He's good explosiveness off the line of scrimmage out of his stance. He is already probably their best interior pass rusher instantly. That's going to get right. him on the field in that Adam Butler role sooner rather than later. Now the question is, 
Can he develop beyond that? That's still a little bit of a question mark. I thought he showed out better in padded practices as a run defender than he did last night. So maybe last night was just a little bit of a bad night for him in that department. But they'll coach him up. They'll get him They'll get him sharper on those double teams. Lawrence Guy can teach him how to do it. You know, Lawrence Guy is the king. He's he's – He's, uh, it's, he's exactly teach tape of how to take on a combination block as a two gap defensive lineman. So just have him work with Lawrence Guy for the next year or two and, and, right. and we'll figure it out together. It kind of goes back to what I said about Mac Jones, right? You'd love Barmore to be dominant this season. That would be great. It would be exciting, but ultimately it's a multi year development thing and he doesn't need to, he doesn't need to get there preseason week two, year one, right? He'll get, I, I think he'll get there. I think he'll be a good three-down player. It, it might take two years. It might take till the end of year two. That's how long it takes these guys sometimes. But um, I, I, I think he'll get there. I'm not going to freak out that he's not there five no. months into his NFL career. No, and I still think it's going to be really difficult for them to keep him off the field because he is such an effective interior rusher, and they're going to need that. They're going to need that juice at, at different times because you can't. You can't always get away with blitzing, right? You can't always blitz. You have to, you can't always run a game. You can't always blitz. Sometimes you have to rush four on five and just have somebody win a matchup, right? And yeah. Christian Barmore right now, besides maybe Judon, is probably the guy that can best win that matchup most consistently. I guess if Joshua Jay's out there, Chase is out there, maybe them two kind of mix in that as well. But if you're out there first and 10 and they straight drop back pass and you need a guy to just win a one-on-one without blitzing, you have to be able to have somebody on the interior that can do that. And Christian Barmore definitely brings the most juice there to the table. Jawan Williams. Hello, Juwan Williams. Uh, going up against Devontae Smith last night, thought he did a pretty good job. Don't have the coach's tape yet, so I can't tell you exactly how it looked from the bird's eye view, but it looked like a really solid night for Juwan Williams. Is this finally happening, Alex? So they finally, not only do they finally have a CB3, but is this finally happening with Juwan Williams that maybe it's starting to click? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you this. He's running with Devonta Smith, where that, you know, even if, even if Juwan Williams was, was playing well, you look right. at that one and you think, oh, that's probably a mismatch. And he, and he hung with them, and this might be it. I, I don't know that he was dominant last night. We didn't see a ton of him, which is a good – we've talked about this. This is a good thing for cornerbacks. They just need him to be decent, assuming Stephon, assuming Stephon Gilmore comes back. If Gilmore doesn't come back, they're right. screwed either way. But if Gilmore comes back, they, they just need him to be serviceable. And I think between the joint – I wasn't there, but based on what you said from the joint practices and then what, what I saw last him? night, I, I – he looks like he can be serviceable and you know, he's not going to be Jason McCourty, but if he can be close and then maybe you you mix Jalen Mills in there a little bit, maybe you mix Justin Bethel in there a little bit. And he made a nice play in coverage last night. They might be okay. I don't know that it's great. I don't know that it's their best situation positionally, but I, you know, I feel a little better now in terms of, you know, if they don't add externally, I think you come away from that game, certainly feeling a little better than you did going into it. He's not a difference maker. He's not a game changer, but he can hold his own. And that's right. probably the somebody only actually, Somebody brought up Eric Rowe in the comments. Exactly. That's the guy. That's the it's guy. Someone like that. Right. Someone yeah. that's just serviceable in their role, can hold their own. It's not like 
Juwan Williams is going to be asked to go up against Devontae Smith in a regular season game, or when they go into week one against Miami, assuming Stephon Gilmore is out there, they're not going to go, hey, go take Devontae Parker, right, on an island one-on-one. That's going to be Gilmore's matchup, and Juwan Williams is going to be on the third wide out. Gesicki, you know, he's going to have a matchup, right, that's going to favor him a little bit more. They're not asking him to go out there and take number one wide receivers every week is my point. All he's got to do is take the third guy out there. That's all he's got to be able to do. And if he can do that, then the Patriots will be just fine. Maybe they do finally have a depth piece there at corner. It also allows Jalen Mills to move inside, which we've been harping on all summer long. Jalen Mills is an inside guy. He's a slot. He's a money backer. He's a strong safety. He's not an outside corner. And finally, they they seem to have found that spot with Juwan Williams and being able to shore it up a little bit. So hopefully that's good news for the secondary as well. Pieces coming together, Alex. It's it's all coming together. Yep, absolutely. Matt Judon on the defensive side of the football, and we're going to talk about some other loose ends here in a second as well. Matt Judon is just an animal. animal. What a monster. He's a problem. We need it. We need like a good nickname for him. Like I kind of want to call him the problem. Because he's going to be a problem for every defense. It's not he just, just that he's good. It's that, well, man. That, and that's the thing. It's not just like some pass rushers are good because they just have one move that can't be stopped. But if you get a really good tackle up against him who studies and learns the move, you can neutralize him. Matt Judon can win four or five, six different ways. That's rare. That's rare. Like, I, we got to start working. Again, I, I'm starting with the problem. We call him the, the problem. Because then you say, like, oh, look at the problem coming off the right. edge, and that would be sick. I'm not – I'm not – totally married to that so if people want to come in and offer other you know possibilities but we need a nickname for this guy he's going to be that good we need like a badass not not mj not not well, mj's taking i guess not nine not no not one of these initial number nicknames like a real like alan iverson the answer the truth something like that we need to get him a real nickname because he's gonna he's gonna deserve it if the equalizer if you could create an outside linebacker for Bill Belichick in a lab or use some computer software and print it out on a 3D printer. It would look like Matt Judon. Six foot three, 260, 265, rushes the passer well, sets the edge well, drops into coverage well, does every single thing that Bill Belichick wants his outside linebackers to do. And he reminds me a lot of, I, he's not, I don't think that he's some of these modern edges that they've had, right? He reminds right, me right. more of the old school throwback guys like McGinnis, right? Yeah, you're right. Just a bone cruncher, and I just love it. I just love it. The guy that I compared him to last night was Willie because I, I feel like they both had that kind of size and sort of freak athleticism for somebody that big, and they could set the edge and be a sturdy edge setter just as well as they could rush. And those types of guys always play extremely well for the Patriots and always are great fits for Bill Belichick. And you can definitely see, definitely see why Bill Belichick paid Matt Judon Eighteen million dollars a year to come play right. outside linebacker for him. This is a this is a home run signing. And that's the thing you you kind of hit on it there with with how well rounded he is and he can set the edge right. Chandler Jones obviously a great player, great pass rusher. Right. It just he couldn't get after the quarterback in this system with the other things he had to do. And we've seen a number of guys come through like that where they probably could like pile up sack totals based on their raw skill, but. Their other responsibilities maybe got in the way at times. Judon is a rare guy like Willie McGinnis. You nailed it. I'll give you Roman Pfeiffer is another one who could sure. handle, could get after the passer the way, the way he wants to, he can get after the passer the way he wants to get after the passer. 
with without and incorporate that other stuff into his game. Like the way he comes around the edge, and you could probably explain this more in depth than me, but this is just me watching it. The way he comes around the edge on plays where, you know, first and 10, it can be anything. He can quickly adjust and turn that into setting the edge if he needs to. Yeah. And that, that's a lot harder than really, it sounds to do. Really instinctive in that sense as well, right? Just right. having sort of that innate ability on the fly to adjust what he's doing to whatever the play call is once he gets a read on what they're trying to do. Look, he's just so a, have, hell of a, a hell of a football player. We have the bulldozer, the equalizer, the dilemma. The dilemma. Judon. I like with the the. I yeah, I, I think those are cooler. So I guess we'll, we'll we'll keep we'll keep going. I I don't know if any of those do any of those top the problem. I kind of I don't maybe I don't know. We 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 haven't found the one yet. I don't think. Okay, we'll keep this. Will be an open thing. Well, this can go into the season. So what I really like about it too is the last couple of years. Belichick has drafted guys like Uche, guys like Winovich, and it's no offense to those players because they, they have their own skill set and their own way of winning out there with speed and, and sort of, uh, you know, being undersized can help them in sort of, in some ways. But I can just picture Bill Belichick in the, the war room for free agency just saying, you know what? I'm so effing sick of watching everybody run us over off the edge, right? Like, I just need a guy that's going to come in and be an absolute bulldozer out there. Like, no more of this 245-pound outside linebacker crap. Like, I don't care if that's where the rest of the league is going. I don't care if everybody else is trying to get smaller and faster on defense. I want a sledgehammer out there, and that's Matt Judon. So, great throwback type of player. Reminds me a ton of Willie, as I said. And that's those are that's high shoes. Those are high, that's high praise. That's big shoes to fill. I don't compare him to McGinnis, but that that's the player that I see when I watch him play. Alex, are you ready to give up on Quinn Nordine? Where, where is your panic meter here? Are, are we finally seeing the real Quinn Nordine come out, or was last night an anomaly? No, I think last he's somewhere in between the last two games. You know, yeah. I think last night was him at his worst. Washington was him at his best. I, this is what I was saying though, right? And there's a reason I never put him on my roster projection is the one game, you know, when a guy struggles with accuracy, it, you, you got to see the larger sample size. And now we're kind of seeing it. And I probably got a little too excited, honestly, when I said they couldn't get him on the practice squad. I think now they probably can. Right. You know, chess versus checkers. Did Bill tell him to miss five times so he can get him on the practice squad? Um, no, I, yeah, I, they're not going to start the season with this guy. I, I don't see it. And, and that's where now Nick Folk's health, we haven't really talked a ton about this, but Nick Folk's health is now a major issue because right. they need a kicker to start the season. If he can't go, okay, now you have a tough decision. Do you go with Quinn Nordine knowing that? Basically, every kick is 50-50, no matter where you are in the field, no matter the situation. Do you go with that, or do you go back into the carousel and just pick up, you know, the veteran du jour and your Mike Nugits and your Kai Forbass of the world and these, you know, these guys who are free agent right now for a reason, and you just kind of cross your fingers and hope Folk gets back soon. So, yeah, Nordine's not ready. He's not, and I never thought he'd be ready, but he's not ready. And now you got to figure out what's going on with Nick Folk because they need a kicker week one. We do, uh, we say a ton of things that are wrong on this podcast. We get a lot of stuff wrong and we, we, we will, <laughs> we will wear that, right? But we nailed it with this kicker thing, right? We, we both saw this coming that Quinn Ordean was going to fall back down to earth. And I had people at Michigan telling me, just wait, 
right? Just, just, right. just wait. It's only been a couple of weeks. It's only been a couple of practices where he was really making competitive kicks. One game where against Washington, he did miss an extra point also, right? That wasn't right. a perfect game. He didn't pitch a perfect game. He did give up that one hit. So you have people down there or up there or over there at Michigan telling me constantly, just, just wait. He's, He's really gets really hot. He gets on these heaters. He has these hot streaks where he can't miss, and he looks like the best kicker you've ever seen. He's got this huge leg. He's ticking everything right down the middle, and then all of a sudden, it just disappears. And it can disappear for one game. It could disappear for five games. And it just that's how it is with Quinn Ordine. He's a very streaky, streaky kicker. And now we're sort of seeing it go down on the downslope a little bit, and that's. That's the concern that you have. And if you're an NFL kicker, as we've said multiple times, inside 40, even maybe nowadays inside 45, has to be semi-automatic. Right. Right? You have to make every kick inside 40 if you're in the NFL. So I'll, I'll say this. he He's left six points on the board in two games, right? Three extra points and a field goal. Right. Six points over two games. That, in a 17-game season, that averages about 50 points. He's left the equivalent of 50 points on the board. Okay, how many points are 50 points over the course of a total season? 50 points. So I'm, I'm using the Packers as the example, right? They scored 509 points last year. It's best in the league. Take 50 points off that, you're all the way down to eight. Right. So, and then if you want to go back up the other way, the Jets were 32nd. They scored 240 points. So plus 50. And that, well, Jets scored so many fewer points than everybody else. They're a bad example. But you get my point. Like, right. Okay, okay, he missed an extra point. So what you so what he's a big leg. All right, extra point here, field goal there, another extra point there. It adds up. It adds sure. up. And this is a team that's going to play a lot of close games. And they are going to need all the points they can get. An accurate kicker is going to be important. So I, I agree. And maybe this is a blessing in disguise in some ways because he's certainly better than the Justin Rohrwassers of the world, right? It's not, that's not a comparison. He's clearly much better than a player. Most like kickers are better. I don't know. Right. That whatever whatever guy you want to use. You know what I mean? Like, he, he's clearly got some NFL talent and some ability here. He's a guy, I think, and we, they've done this with guys at other positions. They've never done it a kicker, but I think he could be a legitimate NFL kicker in a year. I think his issues are all fixable. Right. But you don't want to – it's like I keep saying where you don't throw Mac Jones in too early. If you throw Nordine in now and you try to fix these things on the fly and it doesn't work, it's just mentally it's going to, it's going to be too much of a mess. So they might, they might have a choice. That's the scary part, right? Well, and that, the that's the that position. They have a choice. They have Cam Newton right. he's playing pretty well. They have a choice there with the kicker. They might not because Nick Polk, we know how kickers are with injuries. Steven Guskowski is the perfect example, right? That if that injury right. is severe enough, that could just be it for him. Maybe ever, not necessarily just one season. Right. So you worry about that. You also wonder, and this is such a, an inside baseball type of thing that I don't know how much stock you want to give it to, but the long snapper situation, like, is that, is that something that could, the timing could have been thrown off or something to do with that operation not being as clean? Because Bill Belichick did allude a little bit after the game to the fact that maybe it wasn't all on Quinn Nordine that some of those kicks didn't go through. So that could be it. I'd have to go back and watch the kicks very closely. But the thing is, the 10 for 10 in stadium, Cardona wasn't there for that. Fair enough. That was Corey. So, and and look, a a big thing with long snappers is how how much they can, um, how reliable they are, how consistent they are. So, you know, 
Brian Corey and, and Joe Cardona, their best snaps probably identical. The difference is Joe Cardona makes his best snap nine times out of 10. Brian Corey, maybe it's four or five times out of 10. So there could be something to that, but that's also something you have to live with. Really good kickers can adjust to a bad spot. Like really good kickers can adjust to a bad spot. And I don't know that Nordine, you know, that's like a top five, top 10 kicker thing. I don't know that Nordine's doing that. But again, I think if you can get him on the practice squad, work with him for a year, I think you can get in that territory. But it's just a matter of getting him there. And yeah, like you said, you throw him out there too early and he starts missing, mentally he's gone. That's it. Right. And, and you ruin it. So I, I almost wonder even if Full can't go. We'll see what they really think of, of Nordine. If Full can't go and they go to Nordine, that honestly tells me they don't believe in him because they'll right. take the risk. They'll take the risk, the, the short-term risk, and say, ah, if he sucks, he sucks, we move on. If they go out and they sign a veteran and they keep Nordine on the practice squad, that tells me they view him as their kicker for 2022. All right, let's wrap it up with the offensive line. I would stand up and clap, but I, I don't know uh, what part of my body is going to head up into the camera here <laughs> if I do that. But Yadni Kajus, baby. Yeah, that's what I want to ask you about. Okay. What a game. All right, that's what I'm talking about. Three Yadni- years. Was it worth the three-year Whoa. wait, Evan? This is fantastic. Was it worth the three-year wait? It was worth it. Finally, <laughs> me sitting there with Alex, the 2000 was at the 19 draft, 19, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Alex butchering his name and me saying, wait, did they draft Yadni Kajus from West Virginia? Yeah. All right. There we go. Yadni season. Exactly. Goes out there. Pitches a shutout, 23 pass blocking reps, zero quarterback pressures allowed, makes some good blocks in the running game, looks the part, Alex, coming along, eighth yeah. offensive lineman. That, he's the eighth guy for me right now. So that, so that I wanted to ask you two things about that. First of all, is that enough? It's one game. It's a good game, but it's one sure. game. Is, is he on the roster right now, or was that just like a push? I So – I don't know if he's on the roster quite yet. He did have a couple of good reps and one-on-ones too during joint practices. He was able to just stalemate with Josh Sweat and Josh Sweat's a really good pass rusher. So you stalemate with a guy like that. I put that as a win for the offensive lineman. I, what I see with Kajust is he has that foundation from an athletic standpoint. He's got the athletic profile to develop into a much better player than he is now. And once he gets more comfortable with being out there again, and he's able to string together some practices while staying healthy, maybe not this year, but in 2022, I think he's a player that can definitely be somebody that's a third tackle. Maybe he's just a fourth tackle in the league, but a a good reserve for you. Is he ever going to be a starter? That remains to be seen. I think that's a little bit lofty of an expectation right now, but you see it starting to click for him again and him starting to get back to where he was before the two injuries and before the long layoff. And that's exciting. That, that to me seems like a good thing for everybody, right? That Yadni Kajus might finally be figuring it out a little bit. And that to me is also worth keeping him, right? Maybe not. Right. If they don't keep him on the on the fifty three, then so be it. Maybe they just kind of chalk it up to it's one. It was one game and it looked good, but whatever. But if they keep try to keep him on the practice squad at least, because he's definitely worth working with, right? He's somebody that's right. worth developing. And I, I think they could get him to the practice squad. I think other teams would be worried about the injury history. So here's my other question for you: six five two ten, or sorry, six five three ten. He's not the prototype, but you mentioned the athletic ability. Do you think there's any chance he could play guard as well as tackle? So the problem that I see with him playing guard is 
he's a little tall, right? And he, he's, he's too tall. And if you're going to play guard, you have to be able to bend at the knees and really get low and leverage those inside counter, right? Those inside engagements right. that you're going to have. So I don't know if he necessarily has the body type to play guard, but he certainly has the upper body power to play guard. That was another thing that really stood out with him in college was his grip strength, his hand usage, his ability to really punch and separate and create movement on the line of scrimmage with his upper body power. So if he has the flexibility to do it, then I guess in theory he could play a little bit of guard, but he's a tackle through and through. He's got great feet. Uh, he's got great posture as a tackle out there as in pass protection. He's a smooth guy laterally when he slides. I, I think that he's a tackle, but maybe, maybe. I'm not, look, I'm not asking because I don't think he can play tackle. I, I think he can, and you're right. He's, I mean, he's a tackle. If, if given the choice, they can play him anywhere. They should play him at tackle. But right. we we do this all the time, right? A guy gets on the fringe of the roster, and it's okay. Can he play beyond his listed position? Because that always helps. So. You know, I go back to a guy like William Sherman, who hasn't been as good, but again, he has five position versatility. Sure. And I don't, I'm not saying that they keep Sherman over, over Kajus. I don't think they should. Sherman really hasn't shown me anything, but you know, if Yadi comes, cause Yadi's a little late to the party here. He's playing catch up, right? There's one preseason game to go. Maybe right. if there were still four preseason games and he had two more, you look at it and you're a little more excited, but you know, it's just what, can you give me a little, is there a little something there that you can latch onto beyond one good preseason game and it, you know, Maybe positional yes. versatility would be that. He does, have to, is, do, he does have to do joint practices against the Giants as well. So he's got two more joints right. and he's got the preseason game. So maybe in that, those three live situations, he can show them enough to keep him on the roster. But I agree that the 53 still seems a little bit lofty for him just based off what we saw. Cause early in camp, it was ugly, right? He looked extremely rusty right. well, and it was really ugly. So here's my other question, and I, I might be remembering wrong. So if I am, tell me. Yeah. Was he one of these tackles that came in as came into college or finished high school as a tight end? No, I don't think so, but he has played both tackle spots. So he started early on at West okay. Virginia as a right tackle, and then they flipped him to left tackle later on in his career to protect Will Greer. I knew that, yeah. So, so that, that, that's good. Yeah, he's got swing tackle potential, certainly. So, so that works. I th- So I ask about the tight end thing because a player I always liked, I you know, not a great player, but a guy I thought that they kind of maximized was, um, what was his name? I just had it, um, from Alabama, Michael Williams. Uh-huh. Michael Williams, yeah. who got to Alabama as a tight end, converted to tackle, but would still play tight end occasionally. And, you know, you look at a situation like last night, right, where – they didn't have any tight ends. It's Devin Asiasi. That was it. Right. And it's, okay. If you have a tackle who, and, and so when the Patriots had Michael Williams, they had it listed, they had him listed as a tight end, but he just basically always came in and blocked. They'd run him out on a route, like once a game to keep the defense honest. I think they threw him the ball twice the entire year and a half he was here, but I just always thought that was like a nifty kind of player. And, you know, could you, it's not like Kajus is one of these 340 pound tackles, you right? Know? Six five three ten. You look at that frame and his athletic ability. Can you maybe fit, fit him into that role? I, I don't know. He's a six offensive lineman. I don't know about true so tight ends, but essentially has a six zero line with maybe some eligibility right. in terms of going out in the pass route. Sure. I it, I just I look at him as a ball of clay, and I think that's what they right. looked at him when they drafted him, and they had Skarnecchia here at that time, and I think they thought. 
let's get this guy in here. He's got all the tools, all the footwork and foot speed in order to play tackle in this league. And let's let Scar chisel out all the bad edges and all the, all the imperfections. Right. And I still think that they can look at him as a player like that. And maybe he's got some like, uh, you know, Lajern Waddle, Cam Fleming type of upside, right? Where he can be a really solid third tackle. That's sort of a, a, almost a borderline starter, but not quite. And that provides some really good depth for you. I don't, again, I don't know if he'll ever be a starter. I thought out of West Virginia, he had potential to become a starter, but the injuries have put him so behind the eight ball on his career trajectory that it's going to be tough for him now to develop into a starter from this point on. But sort of as a valuable backup, I I'd still think that there, that ceiling exists. All right. Again, I'm just, you know, I'm just spitballing here. I'm thinking, you know, when he gets close, it's okay. Is there a way, you know, if he can just play one tackle spot, can, you know, are they really going to keep that guy? But yeah, Cameron Fleming's name's brought up. I, I mentioned Adrian Waddle a lot as a guy I liked, and maybe he's right. there. So he's definitely right. playing to watch this week. Really quickly, Alex Redmond had a pretty good game last night, too. Just All right, you know, all right. He's the 89th guy on the roster now. Al- Alex Redmond, some good blocks. That, I, I will say, Alex Redmond blocks me. He blocks angry. He I does. like that. He's an, he's an angry offensive lineman. He goes out there and he really throws his weight around. I appreciate that. He's somebody. So I, I talked a lot about last week and then we can wrap this up about not necessarily having a guy, an eighth guy that I thought was 53 man roster material. And I still, I, I'm not a hundred percent there with Kajus, but he's trending in that direction. But guys like Ferentz, guys like Redmond, I, I, even Marcus Martin, I think those guys have a lot of practice squad value, especially sure. in today's day and age where you have the elevation rules and the rules are what they are. And you can have six guys on the practice squad that aren't, uh, that are vested veterans that aren't on rookie contracts. So I, I think that they're, they have some options there to almost stash depth because I, I don't think if they released Alex Redmond that anybody's picking up Alex Redmond. He does have some, so he does have some NFL tape, right? He does have some guard tape in the league. So maybe, but I don't see that happening. So guys like Redmond, Marcus Markin, Martin, um, James Ferentz, certainly Yadni Kajus, maybe even Corey Cunningham. I think that those guys at least two or three, if not more, are going to end up on the practice squad this year. Maybe they only carry seven active offensive linemen, and they just elevate from the practice squad if they have to, if it's necessary, even on a game day elevation and send them back down, something like that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that, again, they, they normally carry eight or nine offensive linemen. Right now, things are kind of set up for them to keep seven, but with that practice squad elevation, it makes it a little more realistic. Because you're only you're not going to dress more than seven. No. You might keep eight or nine, but two of those guys are going to be healthy scratches. So right. you kind of if there's a guy that you're okay, if maybe you lose him, maybe somebody signs him, then yeah, it, you can just put him on the practice squad at that point and elevate him when you need him. Exactly. All right, that that about does it. I, I also liked another nickname in the chat for Judon. Big Cat's not bad. I don't know. They're not they're not a cat team, so that really doesn't. Yeah. Matter. I just like the nickname. I don't know. I should hate Jude. I I thought I would hate it, but I don't hate it. That's a nice song that they could play after a sack, right? right. Like a little, little Hey Jude action. It's, it's more of a reaction thing. Like when people you say like first down Troy Brown or big play right. Willie Clay. Like those aren't nicknames. Those are more reactions. Like I think like if we all like tweet Hey Jude after Matthew Judon makes a play, like that could be cool. I know yeah. it's a nickname, but that could definitely be like a thing. Yeah, you got some Beatles in the stadium every time he makes a sack. That, no, I don't Beatles know. isn't football music, but. I, I don't care what Leonard Williams' nickname is. Leonard Williams is not Lawrence Taylor. I like Big Cat. 
but it has no application. Eh, yeah, it's not doing it for me. So maybe hey, Jude, that's not bad. But we can continue to bounce around these ideas next week. Yeah. The Patriots are off all weekend, uh, Saturday and Sunday. Alex, enjoy the weekend. That that's, uh, was great news that we got from Bill Belichick. That yeah. it'll be off all weekend on Saturday. Although and then we get to we get to cover practice in a hurricane on Monday because I don't think Bill Belichick's passing up the chance to practice in a hurricane. No. And so Monday and Tuesday, the Patriots are practicing back at Gillette Stadium against themselves. Wednesday and Thursday, the Giants come to town here in Foxborough. That's not a practice in New York. I know it's very confusing. They're practicing here in Foxborough at Gillette. Joint practices Wednesday and Thursday against the Giants. If you have nothing to do, if you can take the day off from work, I really recommend it. These joint practices are as intense of a practice as you're ever going to get in the NFL. This is real, almost like a game that you get to watch. Yeah. Out there. It's a lot of fun. There's a ton of players out there that you that want to see. Saquon Barkley is supposed to practice, I believe, for the Giants, or at least in some capacity. So that would boo Daniel Jones. You can see, hey, look, watching Daniel Jones against Mac Jones, the Joneses, right? Daniel Jones, you want Mac to be much better than him, but at least it gives you sort of a barometer against another young quarterback, right? We got a little bit of a look of Mac against Jalen Hurts. I thought that was interesting as well. So come out to join practices on Wednesday and Thursday if you can. They're also the last two opportunities to see the Patriots practice this summer because the last open practice to the public is the 26th, the Thursday practice against the Giants. So you have four more opportunities, two more in joint practice land. That's going to be a whole lot of fun. And the Patriots will play the Giants in the preseason finale a week from Sunday in the Meadowlands. And then it's the regular season out. So we've made it almost. We're, yeah, we're almost we're, we're, there. I mean, we still got one preseason game and cut down day. So we got a way to go. But yeah, we're getting closer. Double cut down and- day. Right. College football in eight days. So There you go. College football in eight days for Alex. A couple of cut down days and a long layoff. We're going to have to fill some space. It's going to be painful because the Patriots go. I'll tell you, college football starts. Maybe some early draft talk. Okay. The Patriots go two full weeks without a game between the end of the season, preseason with the Giants on the 29th, and then the first game of the season against the uh, Miami Dolphins, of course, on September 12th, I believe it is, that Sunday. So a, lo- a long two weeks it's going to be be- between the Giants and the Dolphins game. But Alex and I will have you covered all next week here on Patriots Beat. We're going to do podcasts after the days of training camp. We'll both be out there, so it's going to be a lot of fun. And hopefully we'll see you out there as well. And then we will uh, – have you covered as well for the game against the Giants. But until then, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for watching our content of the six-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Please subscribe to my podcast, Patriots Beat, on our YouTube channel, Patriots Press Pass, or wherever you get your podcasts for a lot more exclusive content right here on the CLS Media Network.